Well, good morning. So thankful to see everybody here again on a uh, on a summer uh, weekend. And so uh, just thank you so much uh, just for your faithfulness to our church. Um, if you're new with us, thank you for being here today. We're honored by you, and uh, we hope that you will just uh, feel at home this morning and just uh, take some time to hang out a, a little bit, ask some questions, meet some people, and, um, and, and we're, we're thankful for you. I want to say a quick thank you to um, Craig Woodson and Lauren Foster for just taking such good care of you while we were gone a couple of weeks on vacation, and uh, it was also our 18-year anniversary, and so, um, yeah, and uh, I know to Robbie it feels more like 30, but hey, you know, um, 18 it is, and uh, I love church, but it's always refreshing to get away and unplug and think about nothing more than reapplying sunscreen, and so uh, everybody's asked me, where's your tan? I don't have one. Uh, This is called 50 SPF. Uh, underneath a 50 SPF umbrella, so um, I don't I don't do well with sun. So um, <clears throat> today I really want to uh, challenge our church, and I'm gonna ask you this morning to really be open minded with me. I'm gonna ask you to uh, to really listen with spiritual ears, <clears throat> because I kind of wanna I, I, I want to go to a, another level this morning and just kind of just kind of go beyond surface. And dig around a little bit, and I want to challenge us specifically our thinking as it relates to spiritual growth, where we are with Christ, uh, where we are with becoming more and more like Him. And we've been in this summer series called "Be Like Jesus," and honestly, I think today is the biggest piece of that pie. And I'm going to continue to to teach on this uh, throughout this summer, but this is is one of the biggest parts of this thought, be like Jesus. And so in our spiritual journey, um, you and I often uh, reach a hurdle, and that hurdle is called comparison. And it's very easy for us as believers to look around at other people and what they're doing and how they're living and and what their life looks like and maybe what our life does not look like. And we fall into this trap of comparing ourselves and then we reflect that upward and we say, God, what's going on? Why are they in a better place than I am? Why do they do this better than I do? Why are their, are their gifts um, seem to be uh, grander than, than, than mine? And we begin to fall into that whole trap of just comparing. So let me just right off the bat this morning address that and say this. You cannot judge your process off someone else's progress. Your process is your process. Uh, Paul said it this way, to work out your own salvation. And so he was saying, listen, you got to grow in your own pace and how the Holy Spirit is leading you, and that's got to be your story and your journey. You can't adopt somebody else's journey. You can't adopt somebody else's testimony. you got to own yours, your story, where you are at in this thing, and be okay with it. And know that the Holy Spirit is at work in you because what is easy for some to overcome is very difficult for others to overcome. And so we have a name for this process, and the process is called sanctification. That's been a while maybe since you've heard this word because somehow over the years in church, sanctification became a word we grew scared of or threatened by, 
or believed it to be unattainable. And so we stopped talking about it. And so this morning I want to reintroduce this topic of being more like Jesus through the actual process of trying to be, of making an attempt to let our lives be shaped by him. And so today's church is sick with something. And when I tell you what it is, it's not going to sit well with some of you. And so I want you to hear me out before you judge the message. Okay, Today's church is sick with grace alone. Grace alone. And let me tell you in a nutshell how, how, this, thing's, how, how this works. Our salvation was bought with a price, a hefty price. And the blood of Jesus, that blood was enough to redeem all of mankind from Adam until the end of physical time as you and I know it. So through the cross, our salvation is attained. You can't get it any other way. You cannot leave out the work of the cross and be saved. You can't do it. You can't do great works. You can't be a good person. You can't just get along with people. You can't be a success story. You can't bypass the blood of Christ and truly be saved. It is how it is attained. But through righteousness and grace, that salvation is sustained. And notice I did not say maintained. I said sustained, which is, which is the constant, nonstop, ongoing process of redemption. Of being made more and more and more into the image of Christ as you and I apply ourselves to it. That we want it. We desire it. And this is something that the Holy Spirit does in us. It makes us want to turn away from the things that are not of God and turn wholly toward the things that are truly of God. And so here's a few things that we know about grace and righteousness before I get, I get in, in, into points this morning. The first thing is this, 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 Paul is writing, I don't have time to get into the context and story of how he, he comes to this. You can read it later, read all of chapter 12. But in verse 9, the Lord speaks to him and he says, My grace is sufficient for you. Meaning this, it's enough. That my grace is enough for you. It's what you need, it's there for you, it's a gift, and grace is good. Grace is great, okay? And so then it goes on in Psalm 34 and 19, this is David writing, and he says this, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. Okay, this is so good. And so he's saying, listen, just because you follow Jesus does not mean everything is going to work out great. It's not going to unfold the way you want it to unfold. It may not look and smell the way you want it to look and smell. Okay, but... It's going to be a point for you where you are delivered from, from trial because you are righteous. So grace is sufficient and righteousness is efficient. It works for us. Because there's going to be some fires in your life that were meant to destroy you. And there's going to be some fires in your life that are meant to define you. 
And so the enemy is out to destroy you, and there are things in your life that you got to be careful of. But there's also experiences and fires that you're going to go through because the Lord ordained it so that he can define you, so that you come out the other end full of faith, so that you come out the other end knowing with greater strength who you are and who you belong to. And righteousness does that for us. When we enter into this relationship with God and we choose righteousness, he's going to shape us to being like Jesus. And so King David said it this way. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. As I look around, I've, I've never seen them. And so when it comes to righteousness, we also know that there's some intellect involved. James chapter 4 Verse 17, the NIV says, says it this way. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There's some intellect involved. Okay, If anyone knows what they should do and they don't do it, to him it is sin. Now, you and I grew up hearing it this way. This is the King James Version. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's very simple. So there's some intellect involved in this, in righteousness, in us saying, I'm going to choose to be like Christ versus choosing to do what my flesh wants. I'm making this choice to make this happen. Here's why we're sick. Because the church has stopped living righteous and we lean solely into grace. And a lot of times there are two different schools of thought transpiring among believers. And that is those who who are righteous only and those that are grace only. And you can't separate those two. So you got the grace only crowd that's like, it's okay, I got grace. And we feel like we can do anything. You know, hey, listen, it's all right, I am who I am. God gave me grace. So I'm going to do whatever I want. Tomorrow I'll pray about it and I'll be right with God. It's grace. I can do what I want, when I want to do it. It's the flesh. It's been happening since the beginning of time. I mean, look at Adam. He was walking and talking with God and he still ate fruit. I mean, it's, it's, it's grace. Then you got the righteous crowd. And the righteous crowd says it's all works. So now it's all this striving and earning and attempting and, and trying and slaving away to always try, 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 minus grace. Okay, when I was a kid, and I don't even know if some of you can re- relate to this, but when I was a kid, uh, there, were, there were times I would be, uh, like I, I can think of this one time, I was on a mower, I talked to my mom about this, by the way, I was on a mower and I, and I hit a hornet nest it was in, 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 in the ground, and I ran over it, and I got stung like 10 times, and I cussed. And I ran inside. I didn't even care about the stings. I was like, I'm going to hell, Mom. I just had a cuss word. I was whelping up, you know, no swollen. And all I could think about was, you know, hell's flames, and she was like, well, listen, let's pray about it. Let's make it right with God. So we did, and I asked the Lord to forgive me for saying the cuss word. And it was like growing up, I got saved. I'm not talking about repented. I got saved every other day and twice on the weekend. Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of you. Y'all are my people. 
Yeah, every other day I was like, God, please forgive me my sin. Write my names down in the Lamb Book of Life and forgive me of all this stuff. I don't want to miss the rapture. Jesus' name, amen. Two days later, Father, forgive me my sin. Write my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> my whole life. It wasn't until I was like in, in my 20s, somebody said, knock that off. Okay, knock it off. You're going. Okay. Here's why we have leaned solely into grace is because it's easier to think that God is okay with our thoughts, actions, and behaviors than to modify them. So again, when I was growing up, righteousness was a tough topic because it was not a lifestyle for me. Righteousness was a list. And so you got, you got this long list of stuff, and you thought, well, if I can't do that, then i got to ask, you know, the Lamb Book of Life prayer. And, and, and so you gotta, you got to do this list, okay? But the list was hypocritical. The list was completely uh, hypocritical. Let me give you some uh, examples of that. When I was growing up, you could not go to a theater and watch an R-rated movie, but you could rent them. And you could bring them home. As long as as nobody saw you, it was like God was okay. You could not get a tattoo. That was for sinners. But you could go to the beach and get a henna tattoo and pretend for a week that you too were a sinner. I know it's nine, but y'all need to loosen up just a little bit. Okay. You could not destroy your body by smoking cigarettes. But you could eat all the Twinkies that you wanted. Now, if that ain't a great church, okay? Some of you will appreciate this. Maybe, maybe 20 of you will know what I'm saying when I say this. You could wear your Bon Jovi t-shirt to school, but not to use service on Wednesday night. All right? And you could not drink wine and you uh, also, you to keep from confusing anyone, you were not allowed to talk about the first miracle of Jesus either. So for me, this is what righteousness was. A list. I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't wear that, and I can't say that, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't. And it was exhausting. Righteousness was something that was so unattainable, and I don't think I'm by myself on this. And here's what happened. I think a lot of people had the list, and they got weary, and they said, I can't do it, and it's unattainable. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to place all my bets on grace and just hope in the end it all works out. And I'm going to lean solely into grace and just kind of do what I want and think what I want and be the person I am right and just expect that I've got this constant get-out-of-jail-free card. But I believe that, that the Lord is not saying, hey, this is not about this list of righteousness, and it's not about grace. These two are in tandem, and you can't separate them. 
So it's bringing the list people into balance and the grace people into balance and living it out right by being sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in who we are so that we can truly be like Jesus. Okay? So grace, hear me. I don't want you to hear, hear me wrong today. Grace is awesome. But the first thing I want to talk about is grace is not the goal. Grace is not the goal. Being like Jesus is the goal. So to become more and more and more like Christ is the goal. Grace and righteousness cannot be separated. Trying to separate grace and righteousness is like lightning with no thunder and fire without fuel and food without flavor. You can't pull them apart. These two great things are necessary for us to be like Him, to be sanctified. Because the will of man chooses righteousness and the will of God extends grace and the result is relationship. That you are living for me and I am loving you and that puts us into relationship. So I'm going to answer a question for you today and that is this. What is grace for? Grace is for the gap. Grace is for the gap. The gap between our attempts and our achievements. Is grace real? Yes. Does the Bible teach that you and I must apply Scripture in our lives? Absolutely. So let me explain. Think about a baby learning to walk. As a parent, what happens, it's, it's, like, it's like the mom gets on one side and she'll hold that, that toddler and get them balanced and dad will stand five or six feet away and, I mean, the cheerleading starts. Come on, you can do it. Make a step. Yeah, come to dad. And he'll start, you know, doing this weird scenario and he'll take two or three steps and fall. That father does not look at that kid and say, I can't believe you couldn't make it five feet. I am completely disappointed in this process. It's it's like my expectations were way up here and yours were way down there, and I'm not talking about your height. I'm talking about the expectation. Sometimes we think this is how God is with us. We start the process of becoming more like Christ, and it just doesn't feel, we don't, we're not full of the strength yet, and so we weeble and we wobble, and sometimes we fall down, and you know what he does to us? The same thing any good father does. They pick them up, they celebrate them, and you try it again. That's what he does to us. He graces us. For those of you that have teenage drivers, You have to grace them. Why? Because teenagers hit stuff. And if you're that parent that bought your kid a new car for their 16th birthday, you are a fool. Because <laughs> they hit stuff. They pop curbs. They flatten tires. They run out of gas. And you could go to them and say, you know, every time they come to you and apologize, you can snatch the keys away from them. But you don't do that. You know they're learning. And so you grace them. 
And so we have to change our perspective on this topic. And the perspective on this is when we shift the focus from being on our story and it moves to make it about His glory. Our life is not about our comfortability and what we get out of it. It is about bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And I'll say this, when we come together corporately, this place should explode with worship. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about Him. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus. It's about honoring Him. Because righteousness is not about your story. Because you can't be righteous on your own. We've all tried it. We tried to do the list. And we failed. It's about His story unfolding in us. So most of the time... We struggle to live righteous because we believe, hear me today, we believe that we don't have what it takes. We underestimate ourselves. We think we don't have the self-control necessary to navigate life and actually be like Him. And here's why, because you're out of balance. Because you've tried works by itself with no grace. And then others of you have completely given up on trying to be like Christ, and you just choose to be like like yourself and say, God, I just want you to grace it. we got to come into balance. And so Galatians chapter 5, let me take you there really quick, and I'm going to end with one more point. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 we see the fruit of, of the Spirit. Now, a lot of you have this memorized, but this is what it says. Now, the fruit is different than gifts, okay? The fruit is in your life because you are serving and loving Jesus and salvation has occurred in you. Gifts are on your life because of an empowerment of the Holy Spirit on your life. So the fruit, if you're saved in this place, should be evident in our, our lives. And here it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now when it comes to righteousness, this is a big key. Because self-control is where it happens for me. I'm going to choose to be like I want to be, or I'm going to choose to be like Jesus. That takes some self-control. Because the flesh in me is at war with the spirit in me. And so I have to continually lean into the spirit and make good choices as it it relates to self-control. But self-control is a fruit in my life. I have access to it through salvation. Right? So let me me give give you this last point. Self-control is a sprinter. This is what I know about self-control. A lot of us hear the word self-control and we're like, I don't have any. That's not going to work for me. I mean, if this could take any kind of self-control, I can't do it. I, I, I can't, you know, I struggle with so many areas in my life that take self-control. Here's what I know about self-control. Self-control is a sprinter. It is the Usain Bolt of Christianity. All right? Spiritual success hear me, is actually a short race. It is fueled by self-control just long enough for a habit to kick in and take over. 
Self-control takes you to a habit. And the self-control that you and I possess as a fruit of serving Christ chisels out habits in our lives that we can maintain over a lifespan. If you had to get up every day and live off of self-control, it would be exhausting. But a habit is natural. It feels good to us. And a habit is a marathon runner. Self-control is a sprinter, but habits love marathons. Okay, now there are several of you in this room who run marathons. I hate all of you, but, there, but there's some of you in here, and I see you training, and I see you doing your thing, and you make me tired just by reading your Facebook post. And maybe you've heard of that app, Couch to 5K. I'm designing an app right now called Couch to Mailbox, and I think it's going to be a super big hit. On day one, as a matter of fact, all you got to do is get up, go to the window, and look at the mailbox. That's day one. (laughs) No one who is not already a runner gets out of bed and signs up for the Boston Marathon. You don't do it. They use self-control to say no to sitting still and yes to motion. And over time, that self-control turns into a habit, okay? Let me give you a spiritual example. Let's say you use self-control to get up on a Sunday, get dressed, go to church, worship God. Over time, that's no longer self-control. That's a spiritual discipline. And you love it, and you do it regularly and routinely. It drives your life. It's part of your lifestyle. It's no longer a fight with it. You just get up and do it because you want to. You use self-control, the sprinter, to create the habit of going to church, the marathon runner. It's why those of you who have been in church and been around this thing for 30, 40, 50 years, this is nothing to you. You don't get up every Sunday and struggle with it. You do it because it's in you. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do in us. He can take things that we struggle with, that we need to chisel out of our lives, to take the list and let us go to work on things that we know are of God and where we fall, grace is there. It's the difference between the attempt and the achievement. So let me end with this, okay? What's the application to all of this? Well, There may be some in this room this morning, and you need, like, good old-fashioned repentance. Like saying, there there are things in my life, stuff in my life, thoughts, actions, behaviors in my life, that for a season, or for years even, I've been camped out in grace Doing what I want, but asking God to just grace it. Grace, grace, grace. And that may feel comfortable, but I think if you look at your life, you will see that you are not becoming more like Jesus. You're still you. You're still the broken, frustrated, discouraged, stuck you. Because of these things that we know God wants from us. 
a lifestyle of holiness, purity, righteousness. He wants those things from us. They actually cause us to draw near to each other. And sin separates us from God. Scripture is clear about that. And so you need to come and make some kind of altar before God where you're on one side and He's on, on the other. And it doesn't have to be at a wooden bench in front of, of a church. It can be anywhere. It can be in your living room. It can be turned around in one of these chairs. An altar is anywhere you're on one side and God is on the other. And some of you need to come to that point and get the junk out and repent. Meaning, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to turn away from it. I'm going to look at those things in my life and I'm going to turn. And I'm going to come back into balance. Grace is good. We're not throwing it out. We're just saying, you know what? I'm coming back into a balance of my life where I am going to apply what I know. I'm going to apply the work of the Spirit in me. And I'm going to, make, I'm going to be responsible for some changes. That's what re- re- repentance is. The second thing to apply this is we need to utilize some self-control and create godly habits in our lives. Now, I don't want to end on, on a soapbox, but I, I, can't, I can't keep from it. For some in this room, church is, is a once-a-month thing for you. And I, I get the arguments, church, it can be done. It, it can't. It, it can be done anywhere. There are some great home churches. But if those other three weeks you're not in a, in a home church, you need it. Christ gave his life for the local church. Be in church. Worship. Man, this place, God has given us such a great place to worship him. And we need to come into this place and just worship him, sing. Lift our hands. Open our heart. And let our time in worship change us. Create a habit in your life of worshiping God. Create godly habits. Let self-control be a sprinter for you. Because this is where we really see areas of our life become more like Jesus. Now, corporately, This is my challenge for us collectively. I'm asking all of us to dial up our conviction. To pray to the Holy Spirit, reveal things in me that need to change so that I can be more like Jesus. Dial up your conviction. I want the Holy Spirit to know that he can count on us. That we can be known for more than just being a a relational church or a casual church. But that we can be known as being a church of power and authority. Because the Holy Spirit is at work among us. He can count on us. And I want us to see us actively becoming more like Christ. Meaning this, I think all of us should be able to point to 12 months ago and saying I'm more like Jesus now than I was last summer that's when we know that we're in the process of becoming more like Christ Okay. bow your heads with me today and let me speak to your heart for just a second